Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. I always find it interesting the way that God kind of inspires some of these words. And, and this was uh, kind of on the heels of uh, a message that Becky had. Um, I wrote the date down. January 17th. So about two weeks ago. Is that two weeks? Three weeks. Two weeks? Okay, two weeks. That, the math works out. Two weeks ago. Um, and it's one of these things where, where she was talking about a particular scripture. She was talking about prayer and, and uh, using the Lord's Prayer as a model so with that, that we align with that so we don't pray amiss. Um, and she got into one of the scriptures there, and it's 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. And I'll read that for you just to kind of bring that back to your memory. And it says, uh, she was probably reading out of the Passion, so it, it won't sound quite the same this morning. Uh, we'll make it as passionate as I can. But the words are different, so it doesn't quite work. But it talks about our weapons of warfare. And it says, we are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. And you might be more familiar with the one that says our, our weapons are not carnal. It's the same scripture. It says, we use God's mighty weapons not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. And that is a great scripture. Um, and, and that's where she stopped. Um, but I, I have the habit of reading a little bit further, and I had to go apologize to her when I was sharing this with her because, because when I shared it with her, I said, oh, you know, I really wasn't paying attention at that moment. And, and so I might have missed some of what you said, so I apologize for that. And, and that'll make more sense as we get more into this, uh, why I was so convicted and needed to apologize. But, but I read on to the, to the next one, and I, and I sometimes will go back. Um, and this is just good Bible study, because a lot of times you'll, you'll get a scripture or someone will reference a, a scripture, and it'll say, but then. Well, that means something else was happening before, right? We need to go figure that out, because that might be important to this scripture. Well, I read on and I got down to verse number five. And verse number five is the one that caught me and just grabbed my attention. And verse five says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And I thought, proud obstacle. What are proud obstacles that keep us from knowing God? What are those obstacles that get in our way that prevent people from knowing God, and what does pride have to do with it? And that just caught my attention. And so I, I wrote down in my notes, I, I wrote the, the, you know, the couple thoughts I had, and at the bottom of the page, I wrote, um, what's the problem with pride? Because, you know, we, we think about our kids. We tell our kids, hey, I'm proud of you. And suddenly I felt kind of convicted, like, well, should I not be telling my kids I'm proud of them? And then what's that do to their self-esteem when you, when you don't say those things? And so I was initially very confused by this, and I wanted to dig in. But I just wanted to share kind of the background on that because, as Ken was saying earlier, God is always speaking. And he speaks to us. Becky pointed this out uh, maybe in the same service. I don't remember. But I talked about a rusty bolt. And she said, well, God speaks to you in the way that you'll understand. So he doesn't give you the same word and the same example that he might give someone else. And when someone else shares their story and they're really excited about it, you might go, oh, okay. 
because it wasn't for you. That message maybe wasn't for you. It had to reach them where it would grab their heart and attention and hang on to it. And that's exactly the experience I had here when I saw this. And so I was really perplexed. What's the problem? What is the problem with pride? And so, of course, what you do, you know, you start to dig into that and you start to dig up some scriptures on pride and, and, and very quickly, um, if you do a word search on pride and you look for scriptures that have pride or proud in it, you see this sharp contrast come out really, really quickly. And so I want to bring a couple of those to you right now. The first one I'm going to bring out is Proverbs 16, 18. And it said, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Sounds like if, if pride is a thing, it is, it is setting you up for a fall. It's taking you to the edge of a cliff and daring you to stand there. Proverbs 18.12, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, same word, but humility comes before honor. And so now you start to see a contrast with this word humility. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And then Proverbs 3.34, the Lord opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so there's nothing in these scriptures so far that says pride is a good thing. And so I, I'm reading this and I'm seeing this and I'm like, what have we done to our kids? What, what you know, you, you hear it everywhere. You hear it in all kinds of sports. You hear it at, at events, the cello uh, recital, whatever. Cello and I did violin. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have pointed that out. I don't know. But I'm seeing all this, and I'm just getting further and further confused about what is, what, is it just the difference between a worldly view of, of pride and a godly view of pride? And so I had to dig in deeper. And the things that stuck out to me in these few scriptures were some of the words that pride was connected to. And it said, pride precedes a fall, destruction, and disgrace. Well, there's nothing about any of that that I really want to be a part of. None of that sounds welcoming and loving. And that was maybe my first hint as to where this was going to go. And then I look at humility, and it contrasted pride with humility. And as it turns out, humility really is the opposite of pride. And with humility, it brings honor, wisdom, and grace. Well, that sounds really attractive to me. But what does it really mean to, to be proud or to have pride? What does it look like? So I wanted to dig deeper. And so I kept reading, and I'm down to Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And it starts to unfold now. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, values others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interest of others. And so now I, I start to understand this whole thing about pride. And it really, I, I started to look at the words and what's right in the middle of pride. It's the letter I. And what's the big standout in humility? 
It's in the name. It's you. And that's the biggest contrast between these two that I started to, to look at and to find. Is pride focuses, it's all about me. Where humility starts to look at everyone else around you. And it's a different mindset, it's a different heart, it's a different condition of the heart, if you will, to, to look at other ones around you and consider them versus the prideful way of saying, everyone consider me. Look what I did, look how, how great I am. And then that was further reinforced in Proverbs 27 too. It says, let someone else praise you. Don't do it yourself. Because even if you're not being prideful, it sure looks like it. But if you can be humble and receive that from someone else out of their mouth, out of an outsider maybe that doesn't even know you, just recognizes the gift that God has given you, the talent he has put in you, the abilities that you naturally have, but don't let it come out of your own lips. And I started to think about the, the contrast between these two a little more. And I started to think about what would it look like in a, in a room full of people? And I started to think about, you know, I'm a pastor and pastor carries a certain weight if you will, to the title, and people immediately, just because of their past experience, want to go, oh, well, he's the pastor, and he goes up here. He, he prays more, and he serves more, and, and, he, and he should be elevated. We should, and, and there is a place for honor. But at the same time, I shouldn't do that to myself. At the same time, I should be looking out for everyone else in the room. And I should be able to gracefully go thank you for that compliment thank you we've worked really hard on it thank you for that i'm glad you enjoyed it what else can we do for you how can we how can we serve you how can we help you better because as soon as i turn that inward and that becomes important and i start to puff myself up and pride gets in the way and now suddenly i'm putting myself on a pedestal which means i'm putting everyone else lower where humility steps off of that and says, what can I do for you? Because if I'm honest, I'm no more deserving of any status or acclaim. I'm certainly a little shy in some of the talents and gifts as those you saw up here earlier. I mean, if I'm honest, I have trouble clapping on beat. If, if one person in the room is off, I go with them every time. And it's not a lie. That's the honest truth. It's just for whatever. We can be just going along and someone will be off and I'll just migrate over to where they are. I don't know. It's just something in my head. It just, it just finds that thing that is out of place and goes, and just like a magnet just drawn over to it. But I have a few other redeeming qualities, but music is not one of them. And I'd like to... to think myself humble, but I'm really challenged by the words here, and I'm really challenged by some of what I've read in this last week, and and it brings me back to some things. I, I, I'm not there yet. i got another paragraph to go here. 
but it, it brings me back to some other times in my life where I might have been more humble than I am today. Um, Psalms 25, 9. It's King David. He says, uh, speaking about the Lord, and he says, uh, he leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. So what is his way? Verse 10, the Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. That's his way. Leading with unfailing love and faithfulness. Aren't you glad today that there's a God that is out there with unfailing love? It doesn't matter how much you stumble and fall, how many mistakes you've made, where you've gone off the rails, maybe never even got fully back on it. I don't know where y'all are at today. But aren't you glad that there is an unfailing, God of unfailing love that says, come on back. I'm waiting for you. Come on back. Because humility says, God, if it weren't for you, I'd be lost. I mean, humility in God's eyes and in God's presence says, God, I know that you're greater. I know that you rescued me. I know you saved me. You know more than I know about this whole situation. And I know, God, this is what I want to do, but you say otherwise. And I know your love and faithfulness is greater than what I know. And he wants us to obey and follow him. And humility in the presence of God also says that since you did it for me, since you picked me up, to borrow tunes from the song or the lyrics from the song, since you picked me up and you turned me around, you placed my feet on solid ground, how can I help do that? Like that old man in the church when I was seven who went in there and talked to me and made me understand how God loved me, how can I do that for someone now? How can I, can I take that heart that he had that was a reflection of your heart, put that inside of me, and how do I, how do I now speak to someone in that same way? And perhaps the greatest example of humility in the Bible was Jesus himself. Come from heaven to be on earth, not to be lifted up as a king on earth, but to be a servant. To travel the lands loving and healing people, proclaiming God is righteous, showing people, being an example to us, even to this day being an example to us of how we should treat one another. And I look back at a time in my life and I, and I couldn't help but re, be reminded of Matthew 25. And this used to be a big part of our life. In Matthew 25, if you read it, and I'm just going to read a piece of it starting in verse 37. But Jesus is, is talking to the righteous ones here and, and, and he's, he's describing this scene. And in verse 37, it picks up and he says, And then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and we gave you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? It says, when did we ever see you sick? And he says, I'll tell you the truth. He says, when you did it to the least of these, when you found that man on the street, when you went to the homeless, when you went to the, the, the least in society, 
and you made sure they got something warm to eat and had shoes for their, their feet and a blanket to cover them up as they went back to the park bench where they slept. You did that to me. Maybe it's just for me personally, but I feel like God is calling me to keep an ever-watchful eye for those situations. I know we had a, a situation over the holidays that, that came to our attention, and we, we moved as a church body into that situation and, and, and did a tremendous amount for that family. But I think what he's saying to me today is that that is, that is not an event, it's not a period, but it is supposed to be the way you live, it is supposed to be a part of your life, it is supposed to be how your heart operates within you. And to keep an ever-watchful eye out for those that are hurting, those who need to be lifted up. And in, it's in those moments, honestly, that we are the best reflection of him. Because if you can go to someone and you can, you can provide for them and you can touch them where they, they, at that point of need, where they're hurting the most, and even if just for a moment you bring them a little bit of relief, that is the best reflection of God. Because what would Jesus do in those moments? There was a, uh, a sermon that we watched in here um, some months ago with the guys. Um, and it was actually from the latest conference that the latest had gone to a month or so earlier. And Damon Thompson um, was the person that was speaking. And he talks not only about, he talks about the, the episode where Jesus meets the leper. And he draws a unique distinction out of that because the, the leper comes to him and, and says, if you are willing. And Jesus didn't say, yes, I'm willing. He went, no, I'm not just willing, but it's my desire to heal you. He doesn't want anyone out there hurting. It's his desire to, to pull those people in and show them this unfaithful, this unfaithful, this, well, I've really blown that, haven't I? Probably because I can't see through my tears and stuff. His faithfulness and his love. All right. Well, that got a lot more emotional than I had planned. All right, but we have to be humble. We have to be humble. It, it, is, it is the heart of God for us to, to move and operate in every aspect of our life with humility. In all your relationships. All right, pride. I want to see if I can talk about pride now. That's more exciting. Uh, really nothing, nothing special here about pride. Pride is what we all know it is. And we've talked about it. It's kind of puffing yourself up thinking that you are something. You're the stuff. And the problem is that it gets you focused on the I. And so let's look at Matthew 22, verse 37. And this is the, uh, this is the episode that Jesus had with some of the, the Pharisees there. And they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And he replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we've talked about that a lot in here. But pride puts you first in your mind. And when you put you first in your mind, God then becomes number two. 
or three or four or wherever he sits in your heart. And that's a problem for God because he likes to be number one. He's earned it. He deserves it. Not, not because of, of really anything he's done, just because of who he is. And he, he does lots of great things. His goodness and his love are never ending. And we, can, we only have to examine little bits of our life to see that. But when you get prideful, and like I said, you put yourself up on a pedestal, you run the risk of not only putting everyone else beneath you in your heart, but also putting God beneath you in your heart. Let's look at Psalms 10.4. It says, in the pride, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, meaning God. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. He's so full of himself that he didn't have room to consider anyone else, let alone God. And so there, there is a place where pride consumes you and turns it to I. It's all about I. Look what I did. Look how great I am. Look how talented, how wonderful. I can do it all by myself. I know better. How many times has that got us in trouble? Amen? But pride puts God in second place. And the funny thing about pride is that it is the enemy's oldest trick in the book. Now, this would be the point where Daryl would point at me and laugh. Because, yeah, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament because I like to go back to the Old Testament. But it's the oldest trick in the book, Genesis 3. And of course, you, you may know the scene. This is where Eve is, is being talked to from the serpent. But I, I want to read these scriptures and then we're going to really highlight, and hopefully you'll see it, where pride comes in. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of the tree? of any of the trees in the garden? And Eve responds, of course not. We may eat of fruit of any of the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, I just want to point out here that God had a good understanding, of, or Eve had a good understanding of what God had said. Okay? And I've heard people talk about it. You go back a chapter... It turns out when, when God said, don't touch the tree, Eve wasn't even there. He gave this to Adam. So, so I've heard that argument before. Eve wasn't even there. God didn't tell Eve, but Eve knew. Eve knew. She knew better. All right, not that we're casting blame on whether it was Eve or Adam. I just want to make that clear. All right, verse 4. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and that you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that it looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And so can you see the flip from verse 2 to verse 6? God said, there was an authority in my life that said, this. There was someone who directed me not to do this. That I'm following. And in three short verses, she wanted 
the wisdom it would give her. And she put God's word and God's authority aside, elevated herself in pride. And of course, we know what happened after that. And so we can see here in, in just a few statements, just a few lines of text here, we can see how Eve was elevating herself in pride and diminishing her view of God. One of my favorite authors right now is A.W. Tozer, and he says, the most important thing that you can do, and I'm, this won't be a quote, it'll be a paraphrase, is have the right view of God. That's the most important thing you can do. If you start out every day having the right view and the right perspective of God, it will shape the rest of your day. If you start the day with a wrong view of God, where he is diminished, where you're in charge because you're prideful over whatever the situation may be, you have already got one foot on the edge of that cliff. And this is an example of it. Now, I do want to point out here that Eve was deceived. Eve had that little voice in her ear that said, it'll be okay. It's just this one time. Who's going to know? We're just, Eve, it's just you and I here in the garden. If you don't like it, spit it out. I won't tell. But the deception is not the sin. It's the action that follows the deception is where the sin comes in. Because we have voices, turn on the TV, we have voices that tell us we should be looking out for who? Number one, right? Me, myself, and I. And we get it all day long. And this world thinks that that is a great thing. Now, there's also examples in this world where very humble people are elevated as well. And they say, what a great thing this has done. An example of that, every year they have the CNN heroes where people are nominated from across the country for the good work they've done. And so that's not to say that, that the world is solely stuck on that, but there is a portion of our society that says, me, myself, and I is what's most important. But it was the it was Eve's sin that disobeyed that, that that disobedience of God, of what God had said that was the real sin. And the thing about it was is that is that a few lines before, when she wasn't thinking about herself and she was thinking about God, she didn't have this obstacle of pride that prevented her from knowing what God had said. But as soon as she got prideful, it was like she put blinders on. And now suddenly she couldn't see the authority of God. She couldn't hear the authority of God. And that blinder prevented her from knowing right from wrong. And I think that that happens in so many of our decisions in our day-to-day -day life. Is that we may not be prideful people in general, but much like Eve, there are moments and, and if you take nothing else away from today, take away that there are moments when you can be susceptible to pride. There are moments when you know better, but there's a little voice in your head that says, it'll be okay. And it's one of these, these words called compromise that comes in. 
Much like, like Eve, it separated her from God. So I just want you to recognize that, that you know, if, if Eve in the garden, having all of her needs met, needing and wanting nothing, can be deceived by a little voice in her ear, what makes you so sure that you're not going to be? Or that you're not somehow susceptible to that? I think we all have to be careful. We all have to be careful of that. And the unfortunate thing is, there's a lot of Eves. There's a lot of Eves. It happens every day. Good people that you would go to church with, you would describe as good, God-fearing, loving people, have moments where they get deceived and do things that, that they may come back and repent for later. And I hope they come back and repent for later. Myself included. I'm not saying I'm above any of this. And, and hear me, I, I, I'm not, I want you to examine your life and your decisions and how you go about making decisions. And just know that, that there are obstacles that you can run into. There are stumbling blocks that you have to be careful with. All right. But there's good news in all of this. And frankly, it started with, with this event with Eve. The good news in this is that God saw that man was weary. Man was fragile. And he gathered his, his folks around him and said, we got to fix this. We got to have a plan. And so let's look at uh, 1 Chronicles 7.14. It says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, thank you, Lord, and forgive their sins and restore their land. John, 1 John 1.19, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And John 3.16, for God so loved the world, thank you, Lord, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God, God knew that we were going to be fragile. He saw in Adam and Eve when he had all of them protected in this little beautiful bubble of perfection of humanity. There was no pride. There was no envy. There was no uh, mass media to cause people to go cray-cray. They had everything that they could possibly want. They had companionship. They had a loving father watching after them. They had the animals wandering around making all wonderful noise of jungle noises or whatever they were making. They had butterflies and bumblebees and just it was a glorious thing you can imagine, right? But in the midst of that, there was one little voice. And that one little voice was enough to derail that whole thing. Well, our world is not as perfect as that. Our world has a lot more voices talking. Matter of fact, the, those voices, I would say, maybe even outnumber the voices that are speaking good in our lives. And we have to, to shut off all those outside voices that just happen upon us, that are just on the radio, that are just on the television, just on just getting to and from work on the billboards on the side of the road. We've got to turn all that off, and we have got to set our mind on things above and seek his voice and seek his direction. But God is a God of redemption. And he is a God of restoration. See, from the beginning, from the first fall, God's 
whole plan was how do I get them back? How do I get them back? How do I restore right relationship with the ones that are lost? That was his whole plan. And then, and then throughout the whole Bible, we get to read of all the other things that we can do in the meantime while we're trying to understand how to get back in right relationship with him. But getting back in that right relationship with God requires a humble heart. You can't repent with a prideful heart. Pride and repentance do not go together. Can I, can I just do an example? Hey, I'm sorry I broke your stuff. There's no humility in that. It's like, yeah, I stepped on your Legos, whatever. Right? Yeah, sorry I broke it. Don't leave it on the floor next time. So I, I think even outside of our relationship with God, our relationships with one another, right? We're supposed to love God first and then each other. That's what the word says. And if we're supposed to be humble as we approach God, if we make a mistake and we cause God hurt through sin and we have to come back to him humble, how much more when we offend one another do we have to go back and go, son, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see it. I wasn't looking. I wasn't as careful as I should be. How can I make it up to you? Your blank stares. Yeah, didn't, wasn't very warming. But, I mean, I, I'm being a little silly, but, but it's true. But it's true. And that's hard. That's hard to do, especially when you think you're right. But I know Becky and I, I don't want to say frequently. I don't want to say frequently. It doesn't happen frequently. But occasionally. Sometimes. Rarely. Rarely. We have these moments that, uh, that, that we had a pastor once call intense moments of fellowship. And... Uh, and I think those things happen, you know, and, and, and lately, Becky and I, the last time or two that we've done it, um, we really had to come back together and, and really be humble and say, I don't like it. I don't like it when we argue. I don't like it when we fight. Suddenly, everyone was much brighter. That freaked me out for a moment. <laughs> but we've had to come back and go, okay, well, but why? What, what made this conversation different? Well, you know, maybe I didn't sleep well the night before and I hadn't had breakfast and I was hangry. It's a real thing, y'all. Ask my daughter. But we've got to learn to restore those relationships. And here's the thing, though. It's just because I can humble myself and go to my wife and say, you know what, I'm sorry about the tussle that we got in. I'm sorry I said what I said and did what I did. Sorry you got to see my face all get red and see my teeth and grr and all that. Is that that hurt is still there. And I, and I, and I can't take that away. She has to receive that and be willing to say, I forgive you. 
and be willing to say, you know what, we're just going to set that aside and we're going to restart this relationship. Now, I only say that because God in his faithfulness and his love, his promise to us is that you come and repent to me and I just take it and ball it up and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. And God, is, his love is just greater than, than our capacity. I think it's greater than our capacity to understand and imagine how great it is. But much like Jesus, when he does that, he also says, go and sin no more. Right? He has an expectation that, that if you're really humble, if, if you've really repented, you've really had that turn in your heart, then don't do it again. Right? And, and shouldn't we model that in our relationships? If we're really humble and repentant and that kind of thing, and we've had some beef with somebody, sorry, baby, I love you. And we go back and repent to me. You, you know what? I'm sorry I raised my voice. I'm sorry that I let my emotions get out of hand. I'm going to try to do better next time. And that's not to say I'm going to get the rest I need, that I'm going to eat before we talk, you know, that I'm going to check my sugar and blood pressure level to make sure everything's okay before we come into the room and have a discussion. But if we're going to show the love of Christ to somebody in that relationship, we have got to be able to humble ourselves, repent honestly with them. And if they likewise have the heart of Christ and turn towards you, or someone comes to you and asks forgiveness, if that person is truly repentant, we've got to learn to, to put aside all of that, well, I told you so, and that frustration and aggravation we might have felt, we got to learn to set that aside and say, you know what? I didn't like it. I'm still a little hurt. Those are just my honest feelings. But you know what? I forgive you, and I'm going to hit the reset button, and we're going to start again. Because you know what? We're, we're not God. We're people. And we are far less than, than capable as God is. But you know what? We're made in his image. And we are to live our lives as walking examples of Christ himself. Humble, repentant, honest, forgiving, desiring to love one another. And let me just pull out one other thing from, from the story with, with Eve. Um, because this is important. Anyone, um, anyone who knows God and then goes and sins has been deceived. They've lost sight of who God is. And you know what? That, that's got to be a difficult place. Because at some point, much like the prodigal son, they're going to come to their senses. They're going to come to themselves, as the word says. And they're going to have to deal with the fallout of that decision. And they may come back to you at some point and ask for that same forgiveness. And we have got to know and recognize the deception that they had. And honestly, they need to know and recognize the deception that affected them as well. And we've got to understand that, that maybe it wasn't their best intent. It wasn't their best moment. But they may have had a little voice in their ear telling them, yeah, this, just this one time, just try. You can always go back. 
can always start over. You can't always go back. So let me just, I'm, I'm closing here. Um, if I'm honest, this one, this, this, putting all this together and trying to share this today was a little bit tough because I know some people are going through some stuff. Um, and, uh, and you can see the, the pride in it. You can see the deception in it. Um, and maybe, maybe some of y'all that I, that I don't know as well or haven't even met, for some of you, might be dealing with some of that same stuff right now. Um, and, and if that's the case, good. Brought you, God brought you here for a reason. Um, but in, in any of this, I, I want you to be on guard. I want you to be on guard for those prideful obstacles that would get in the way. And now that you know they're out there and that you can kind of keep an eye out for yourself in every relationship, in every argument, in every spat that you get into, I want you to examine the situation and see if there isn't that little voice, whether it's in your ear or someone else's ear, if there's not that little voice talking to them. I just want you to be aware that that deception, that the enemy is out there. He's the shrewdest of all the animals. He's the sneakiest, cunningest, and it's his desire to come and speak in somebody's ear and cause division, to cause strife, to cause you to put up the blinders and in three little verses walk away from the direction that God had set in your life. So I want you to, I want you to take that away today, that understanding, because I, I, I think one, it's going to help you see the obstacle. And when it comes up, you can just, I'll step right over that one. But then, too, for your friends and loved ones that you might start to have that little spat with, I hope this comes back to your memory in that moment. You go, just a minute. Let me understand the whole situation. And in love and tenderness, showing the most compassion you can for that person, try to bring that to light. Ken and I went to a service um, Friday evening. It was a local group um, of churches that are trying to get together and, and have unity within the, within the churches. And they're, they're just starting out. I think they've had six events now. Um, so it's an initiative that's really just beginning in a very difficult time. And one of the speakers, um, her name was Beverly Selnicek. I may have that not quite right. It's quite unique word uh, name she is a behavioral therapist I think was her title 
And she says that they have studied the brain and studied emotions and that emotional part of your brain reacts 500 times faster than the thinking part of your brain. So there is no wonder when you start to get a little riled up and you start to, to feel your blood pressure rise, there is no wonder that that just continues to escalate. And that at some point, you know, the, the, um, what's the, the thing on like the, the teapot? It blows off and it whistles, whatever that is. That's the vision I had in my head. But at some point that goes off and then you have to separate. And what usually happens is you separate a little while. And especially if it's a close loved one, you go back and what do you do? You, your emotions go down and you start engaging that thinking. So just be on guard. Be on guard. God does not want you prideful. He wants you humble. It is the best reflection of him. He can send Jesus to humble himself and come and hold your hand. We need to emulate that and do that with our brothers and sisters. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Will, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.